Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Toro. For more than a century, with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shop. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Today's podcast is with Brendan Byrne. Brendan is the longtime superintendent and co-GM at Lanark Country Club in Philadelphia. Lanark has recently undergone a Big-time renovation from uh, Brian Schneider and then with the help of Blake Conant doing shaping with Brian. They have completely transformed the golf course. So I uh, I got to see this place last year when it was halfway done. They did each nine at each time, and uh, Brendan was obviously extremely involved in this process from both the club side as the GM and then also as a superintendent, and he has been around Philadelphia for decades, a legendary superintendent in Philadelphia. So without further ado, here is Brendan, and thanks for listening. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Was it hard to break uh, the um, the single cart? Or oh, it was them? really brutal. It was so funny because at every club I would talk to other superintendents and he said all the members wanted to play in one cart, but when they went to have a drink that there was no COVID around the bar and then they could sit together. So that was kind of the joke. And then eventually once people started getting vaccinated, they were fine with it. Yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's it's not good for the golf course having the the dual carts or the individual carts. We do seventy five percent of rounds with carts on one hundred and nineteen acres. So, like I say, like I had a member go, "Does it really do that much damage?" I go, "What happens if you laid down and ran a cart over you? How would that feel? <laughs> it would hurt, right?" Yeah, and he started laughing. I go, "That's what you're doing to the grass every day." You could tell them to just go park a car on their front lawn. Too. Right. Go park a car in front or take lettuce, put lettuce out and run over it on the blacktop. See what it looks like. It's mashed. That's exactly what you're doing. But it's such a source of revenue. And now everybody's in a rush to play and get done in three hours and 30 minutes. The carts are faster. Sometimes. No, they're good here. This club, I've been employed at a lot of clubs. This club's really good. They, they are like 330 here. They don't play around. They play golf. Well, it's before. a small place. It is, but it's hard. They play ready golf here. One one hundred and nineteen acres. So uh-huh. what? Well, one hundred and twenty nine con- altogether. But the you know the clubhouse and the parking lots and the pool take up some spots. Yeah. What are you got the pros of being you know or the cons of of being small for cart? Mm-hmm. What are what are the pros from from a job and turf standpoint? There is no pros because there you you would think well it's smaller so you wouldn't need as much but we have all like so we have we're we're cut in half by a road. So those perimeters have to be maintained. We have perimeters around all both both nines. So all of them have to be hand mowed or weed whacked or so they they're labor suck. Landscaped. Yeah, they're it's a it's just maintaining the perimeters in itself are a battle. So we have a lot of nooks and crannies. But then like when you are doing like course setup, there's only so many places you can put the cup. Only so many places you can put T markers. Only so many places you can put the put the carts. Where do you start your uh, career in, in turf? Rolling green with my two brothers in, oh my Lord, 1986. Are you from here? I grew up in Delaware County, Delco. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Delco kid. Springfield. So you and your two brothers, were they younger or older? Older. <laughs> One was really smart and got out of the business. The other one's dumb and is a superintendent just like me. Where's he at? He's up at uh, Cherry Valley in New Jersey. He's older than me. He's the nicer version of me. Everybody tells me. 
you guys both didn't get out of the the armpit of uh of america in the summer it's he's like three four degrees cooler he has it easy he's good superintendent he's a great guy he's just he's got it easy four degrees cooler yeah it's a big difference i'd take that well would would you say i have the thing about winter being fake like (laughs) why i think you guys have fake winter oh in philadelphia yeah like you could go. No, play we have golf, skits. Like, we have schizophrenic winter. But like you can go play golf like in January. Oh, in February too. Like this is the first time we had snow in a long time. No, they'll play like th- these guys here. They'll play all year round. And then there's like five days a year that are like really cold, and they all freak out. Like, mm-hmm. Or like New York City is the worst. They get like three snowstorms a year, mm-hmm. and it's like the the world's ending. It's like mm-hmm. why don't you come to Chicago? Like why don't you come yeah. see what real? Winter I love is? snow. It yeah. gets them everybody to give the course a break. It's like a blanket. But here, I don't know if you know about Philadelphia. They have like a huge winter play thing. So even at our club, you can play in groups as big as sixteen sums. So they just all play at once, and then they do all this like gambling and stuff. They have a great time. I'm like fine, whatever. Just put two cups in the green and say play fake winter fake winter except for the grass doesn't like your carts in fake winter but then uh then now people are saying that i have fake summer would you agree with that because you 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 have real summer i i I have i have southeast asia summer i have like humidity i mean i like to say since i started was you you could take all the cities along the east coast and move them down a city in heat so boston used to be really cold now it's like new york new york's like philly philly's like washington dc baltimore and D- and DC is like Raleigh, it's that's the change I've seen in thirty years. That each city has gotten progressively warmer than what it was when I started thirty five years ago. That's kind of wild. It makes sense if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So when you saw the other thing you saw was we used to have a little bit of rain, little bit of rain, hot drought, little bit of rain, big storm, little rain, then the season's over. Now we get drought, huge storm, drought, huge storm drought the little storm is almost gone how does that impact what you do it's um it's devastating because what happens is all that water displaces oxygen in the soil profile so the grass starts to like basically simmer and it can't breathe so you're always constantly vetting the soil so that you can get oxygen back into it because of the water so we use wetting agents because that's what makes water wetter so we can move the water faster Hey, I, I want to go back to <laughs> Rolling Green, going yep. there with your brothers. Mm-hmm. I, do you have like a story that you remember the most from that, like just going over these we two brothers this. to Rolling Green? We were one time, we, we, were, we were doing divots on number 12. It's kind of an iconic hole because the, the golf shop, the grounds maintenance is on the hillside and there's this big old stone mansion. It's like cool. Like 1700. Place. Yeah, house. it's cool. It's haunted too. All the greenkeepers that live there would say, so there used to be like an old militia guy there from the 1700s. Apparently it's a long story, but any I other think time. haunted houses are real. Yeah. This one is definitely for real. Ask Brian Chapin. He'll tell you. Um, so we were doing divots in the rain and we proceeded. My brother thought it was funny to proceed to throw, uh, divot mix at me and we end up starting like the three of us having a huge divot and it was mushroom soil which stunk like hell and you could make it into balls and we just threw it at each other for like 10-15 minutes and members was just laughing so it's covered in divot mix I wasn't very happy I was the youngest too so I, I like lost something that would only happen with brothers like uh-huh. three random maintenance yeah. guys <laughs> start doing just throwing divot mix at each other on number 12 would you guys walk there or yeah we walked yeah, we walked to work. My father was like, as soon as we were like 15, 16, he was like, get to work, go walk. He goes, there's a club across the street, just go walk. He goes, find something to do. So I tried to get a job in the kitchen or something. They're like, no, we need greenkeepers. So I went down and walked down the hill and here I am. Started your uh, Yeah, your that's that's, and that's because I got rejected from being a busboy. That's, that's <laughs> it's not a great, it's not a romantic story now, is it? Those who can't bust tables got green. You go green keep. Yeah, it was weed whacking creeks. Some people would take offense. But this funny. I end up meeting uh, Jim Roney, who's at Saucon Valley now. He was with me, weed whacking creeks. At, and then um, I got to know a lot of great people. And I, I, I've been very fortunate. I've worked with a lot of guys that now have become really good superintendents. That's how you joined the Wolf Pack. Yeah, I changed dates. I, I picked NC State for a couple of reasons. My mom and dad were big into education. A lot of people were just getting two-year certificates on turf. 
And they were both adamantly against it. They were like, you need to go get a degree in agronomy. Like you need to know not how to do it, but why? And you need to understand the science. And so I'm like, well, I got to take like biology, chemistry, physics and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, well, that's, that's what you need to do. And so that's what I, I went and got a degree in agronomy from there. And also state was cool because it was, um, you had both cool season and warm season grasses right on the same piece of land. You don't get that at the, all the Northern universities. They look at Bermuda. Like that's like something that's like in a book. So that's a, that's a big advantage for NC huge. State. So I learned how to use grow centipede and, uh, you know, like Bermuda and all that, but I had bent grass and tall fescue right next to me. So you could see all those grasses. So like now, because the climate change, we're using Bermuda on the, on some of the range to you. I'm like, Oh, well, I did a Bermuda grass growing. I know what the story is with Bermuda. So then it just goes dormant and then you go to mats when it gets cool. Yeah, it, it does go dormant, but now they're getting so much better. It lasts longer. The varieties just keep getting better and better. So it lasts a lot longer. You can overseed it with Poa trivialis or like uh, ryegrass so you can get more of an extended season out of it. And then you got zoysia on the... Bunkers, on the, yeah. You got all kinds of grasses out here. Yeah, so the zoysia zenith... Are you the, gra- are you the grass king of Philly? No, nobody wears that crown. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good superintendents here. I mean, you can go up the street. I'm saying, do you have more grasses than anybody else? Um, I probably do. I probably am the only guy in the area that has Bermuda zoysia bent, but I really don't have any poa. I poa in the rough because we fumigated in '04, and since then we really haven't had too much poa. But the zoysia, I had no choice. Brian Schneider comes in and builds these bunkers. They're awesome, but they're so they're, the slope is so steep. And we did the first bunker. I'm looking at it with my one assistant. I go, what are we going on this? He's like, I don't know. I said, it's all fast going to die. Fine, fast going to fall apart. I said, what do you want to do? So we're going to use Zoysia. We changed everything. I'm like, well, we got to go find Zoysia. So we found Zenith. And then that's when we started doing the Zenith. And then you have to cut them different, right? You weed whack them. If you go out there, they're, they're, the funny thing is, is that they're a heck of a lot less maintenance. They hardly need any water. They don't want any nitrogen after the second year. They don't get any weeds. They choke it out. Uh, balls don't stick to them. I love them. Sounds ideal. It is. It, it, Brian wasn't really a big fan of it because of the color contrast in the fall or in the winter. But it's cool because when you mow them like at the end of September, you can get them like really be smooth. And then it gets cold and then they don't they don't move. So the whole winter, they're kind of like that. And then in the in January, you can spray them with Roundup. And it kills all the weeds. If there's any weeds in them, you can kill it because it's dormant. So after NC State, did you stay down in Carolina for a while? No, I went right back up and did, um, I got a grow-in job as a spray technician for, for, at uh, Hartfield National. Um, with uh, That was a Fazio design. And ironically, my brother became superintendent like 15 years later after I was there. So I went there and then I went to the country club at Brookline. How was uh how was that? What what years were you at Brookline? I was in Brookline for the beginning of the real restoration before the ninety nine Ryder Cups. So that was like mid nineties. That was after I interned at Marion, then did growing in North Carolina, and then did um then went yeah went up to Brook Brookline was great because it was just like it was cold. I was like oh, wow, it's not really that hot here. You know what I mean? <laughs> did you feel like it was fake summer? It was fake summer. They didn't even, I don't even know if they had any hoses. I'm like, you guys have hoses? You got to water the grass here, you know? They thought 82 degrees was like a hot day. My God, it's going to be 107 today. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what What was it like getting ready for a Ryder Cup? Uh, you know, was that a cool experience? It is. You, you know, I hear some supers say they like just get obsessed with, with the tournament golf um, aspect of it and the pressure of that. Did you, did, was that something that, that captured your interest at all or well i was i was employed by a really good superintendent and bill spence he had already done he was a superintendent like hominy hills he was at uh pebble beach he had done opens he had country club of kansas this is all old hat for him so he 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 was really smooth even tempered so he divided all the different tasks amongst four or five people so we were all kind of in our lane doing certain things but he really was more about everyday golf and making sure membership was fine. He, I kind of carry his management philosophy and his greenkeeping philosophy, which is every day's kind of member guest. By the time you get to a tournament, you really shouldn't have to do much. You should have be already on. You should only be. You should be right at the doorstep, anyway. 
how does that how does that work day to day then like is it just like hey we just we work hard every day or well what? you just yeah you just keep the course cycled in i always say you got to cycle the greens you got to keep them in a in a cycle where they're always a day or two away from that you can go okay let's get right back to tournament speed you know like 13 or you know now you have to be almost 14 you know feet so you have to do like for us like our standard our probably our standard stems probably like 11 11 and a half how much did that change from when you got into the industry? Well, you can tell, like, you, you, as, as you know so much about golf architecture, they built those greens for half-inch greens heights. They didn't build them for one a tenth of an inch. And then, so now we, we go from POA to bent grass and these new Bermudas, which are super tight. And now it's almost, if you have really old greens, they, they go almost too fast. So it's easier to get to that speed because the greens are so, so, especially the older greens. Yeah, it, it's wild. I feel like when I was a kid uh, playing the Muni, that I, even like mm-hmm. when I go back and play that Muni, the speed of the greens is like just night and day. I remember, you know, as a little kid, like playing late in that night, and like you just have to murder putts to get them up the hills. Right. And now it's like they they putt like great all the time. You got to remember too is that. And this is not a slight to the you know old school greenkeepers. They didn't have the technology we had. I mean, the machinery we have now. I mean, when I was growing up, when we would go to a green and decide how to water it, you put a knife in it, you push your thumb against it, try to see how wet it was. Now, this is we didn't have moisture meters. We had we were just guessing. We we're prof- I always say, you know what greenkeepers are? Professional guessers. All we do is guess. Does that fertilizer really work? I don't know. I'll guess. Is that really work? You just guess. And then you note, you take notes and say, this looked like that worked and this didn't. But then you know, we have moisture meters, so I can control my water level much better. The wetter the grass is, the fatter it gets. The less water you do, it starts to wilt. It gets smaller. Less drag coefficient, falls faster. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, with that Ryder, uh, Ryder Cup in 99, do you have any good memories from that week uh, on, the, on the crew? Ryder Cup was absolutely fabulous because we had so much fun. Um, taking care of the course, the, the, the European team was very like talkative with us. They were really a lot of fun. They were, they would bust our chops and stuff like that. I hear that almost every Ryder cup venue that I go mm-hmm. to every time I talk to like somebody that's on the staff, mm-hmm. whether it's the pro shop or the, the ground screw, they're always like, Oh yeah, we we loved the European yeah. team. They were so nice, and and we ended up just rooting for the Europeans. Yeah, I <laughs> it mean, might, it might was, be why they win more because they just are are nicer people. So it was before September 11th. So, like, it was nothing for me to walk. I walked those with Tiger Woods within like you know ten feet of them, and you know uh, Payne Stewart, you know, and and you know, we, that was when you were allowed to do all that stuff. But um, boy, the probably the thing that stuck out the most was I was told. I always said at the end of the trip or the end of the tournament, you know, you could pick a hole, whatever you wanted to go see. And I was like, I'll either watch 17 or 18. I mean, 17 so historical. You know, something's going to happen. I'm like, nah, I'll go to 18. Yeah, I heard the roar, yeah, of the putt being made. Yeah, that, that was a big regret. But my job was to get the pin off 18 after the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I got two hands on And Fluff said, nah, you're not taking that. He's yelling in my ear and I said, here, you can have it and I got splashed with champagne and there was people all over the place and it was great it was it was, it was definitely a time in my life you got the you got to experience the plight of the golf journalist at, at an event where you're just constantly trying to guess which groups are going to be the right group Correct. to be with at the end of a at the end yeah. of the tournament it's the worst it's it like- is it's the worst that roar I can still hear it like it was yesterday it's just it was so like awesome but I was just like I was supposed to be there and I have this all access pass and I could have been literally standing. Nah, nah, I got 18. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. But it's cool. It was a great time. It was, it's funny what a lot of people don't talk about with tournament golf is, is Monday is when I was, I had to go back to Philadelphia to my superintendent's job and I walked across 18 and the bunker lip was broken down from all the traffic and you see the trash and all the stuff and you're like, now you got to put it back together. And I was like, see ya, I got to go. So, and then you take the, take the grandstands down and yeah. it's just like, Oh, that's God. not sexy. Well, and that, that stuff, I remember I was, I can't, I was maybe at Conway a couple mm-hmm. of years after and you, or not a couple of years, like, you know, like nine months after. And cause they do mm-hmm. like a fall event 
and you see it like then mm-hmm. in June, and it's like, oh, you can still tell that there's a grandstand here. Yeah, because the soils are so compressed um, that it just takes so much time to loosen them up. See, we were there was a, I had done a lot of other tournaments as a volunteer. It was the first tournament that at nighttime we went out and spread se- seed everywhere where there were crowds and anywhere there was grandstand. We just kept throwing seed out at the country club. Yeah, all every night they spread seed, and it I, I think it worked. And I never would have thought that because everybody's feet are pushing the, the seed in, so I'll see contact. That's the best way to grow grass. What? Uh, so you, you you're in Philly then? Where'd you so you know where'd you start in Philly after you left Brookline? I end up being um, superintendent Jericho National up in New Hope, you know, Washington Crossings. It was a Hurst and Fry design. Um, it was um, it's an interesting course. It's very different. Um, Hurst and Fry do a lot of like waviness and it's just a big massive piece of property but I only did like two years and then I always liked Lanark as a kid like it was always the course that um, the old superintendent at Marion Golf Club um, Mr. Valentine said it was a sleeping giant it just needed to be woken up and I was like 28 years old and I was like I'm gonna be that guy you know I was so like oh yeah I got this yeah I got it it took a long time but I have the membership's been great. Leadership's been awesome. And they've, we've, they've put a lot of money into it. And for them to let me shut it down and fumigate it was uh, a pretty big leap of faith. But um, then to do this renovation again, but um, it is, it's a neat, it's a neat what golf year course. What did you get here? 2000. So you've been here for 21 years. This is my 21st season. Yeah. That's, I'm a, Cal long, Ripken. that's a long time. And yeah, I'm a Cal Ripken of Lanark country club. Yeah, <laughs> consecutive starts. No, it's been great. It's it's. Uh, I'm very fortunate. You know, I grew up up down the street. You know, it's um, it's it's a great it's a great little piece of property. It's uh, it's been fun. It's been really fun. It, it's come. It, it was a neat course. You got to remember, it had a hell of a lot of history in 1958 PGA. Like uh, that was the first. Was it the last? No, match first play or the first stroke first, play. First, first stroke, stroke play. play. Yeah. Frankerstad, um, right? Dow. Dow Finsterwald. Finsterwald. He used to come here. He's 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 pretty old, but he's super great guy. Super great guy. I mean, uh, uh, Byron Nelson won his seventh out of eleventh here in '45. The golf professional here in 1931 won the won the British Open. So it's got who neat, is that? Yes, I, that I can't remember his name. Huh, okay. So they got some. It's got neat history. It does have a lot of history. Yeah. And when it, was it originally built? That's a great question. So it's been a lot of different names over the beginning, but now they've found some research that actually the ground was started in 1895. Then it was, I think the way the history, you have to read it off the website, but it was it was Delaware County Country Club. Then it was Bel Air Country Club. It was Philadelphia Athletic Club. And then it got incorporated into Lanark Country Club, I think, in 1901. And then it's, it's had many different, designs here right well it was 27 holes until the second world war and then they sold off nine so they could uh they could weather the storm and that's when uh they did some more design work now for a quick word from our sponsor toro top-notch custom fit technology helps tour pros feather and iron to tight front pin now using the technology on Toro's new Greens Master Flex Series Walk Greens Mower, superintendents can dial in that same exceptional, precise level of operator performance on even the most contoured greens. The Greens Master's bale feathering feature lets the operator slow down or speed up by putting more or less pressure on the bale and stay hands-on even through the tightest of turns. The melding of the operator and machine continues with a telescoping handle that ensures a perfect harmony between mower and operator. Tall or short, and the handle's rubber mounts have just enough cushion to prevent any hand movements from influencing the cut. For putting surfaces so pure they'll make a Tour Pro tip their cap, trust the Toro Greens Master. Follow at ToroGolf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Now back to Brendan Byrne. Who so, you take over. You go through a Stephen K renovation. Correct. All eighteen holes. All eighteen holes fumigated every tee fairway and green. Shut down. The course was completely shut, shut down. Shut down August seventh. Opened up 
like that May 27th, I think the next year. And then most recently you guys, Brian Schneider came in, uh, did nine, one, two years uh, ago, two years, 2019, yeah. nine last, not nine last fall, right. 2020. Right. Talk about the difference between, uh, the full shutdown from your end versus the nine and nine. It's really almost impossible to compare because we're fumigating on the first time. The first time in fumigating is a totally different world. I mean, here you are, you apply a product that you need to go into your soils for seven days, pull it out, and then see, wait till it's completely clear. So I plant lettuce in the fairways and wait for the lettuce to um, to germinate. That would tell me that I could do the bent grass. What did you do with the lettuce once it germinated? Um, cut it out. Cut you didn't out. move it till I <laughs> we didn't give it to the kitchen. No, we didn't. We we, we got rid of it. it. Seems like a waste. It it was a waste, I guess. So when you seed it, you have all these acres of dead grass, and you're looking at seeds. So I would come in in the morning at like four in the morning and turn my headlights on my cart and just look for seedlings to pop. And then as soon as I saw a couple seedlings, it was fine. So once they started germinating, we were mowing 17 days later. The second time we did a renovation, we were just sodding most of the stuff, you know, doing extensions and doing bunkers. So the majority of the stuff was already grown in. And doing nine holes was, I think, easier. The, the difference is you had architect like Stephen Kay who did drawings and then he would paint it in the field and you'd have a shaper where Brian's of that generation now where they don't really want to do that much drawings, but they go out and do all the shaping. So it's a totally different operation. Do you think the club knew really what they were, what, no. uh, how quirky and like, uh, you know, I, I love this place because it's just, it's so different than everything else around. That's the, and it's still true to itself. I mean, it's still, it's still landmark in its way, but yeah, it's totally different. I said to Brian, I go, the ult, I don't want to be Marion. We can't be Marion. We can't be Aronimic. We can't be rolling great. I'm not saying that they're like, we're not a good enough club. It's just, let's just be ourselves. And I said, you got room to do it. And we looked at old pictures and that gave us some opportunity to do some stuff that had gotten really lost. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what was the member reaction like when they came back and saw like, you know, was it across the board? I imagine some thought it was really, really cool. I would say the overwhelming majority, I would say as high as 90% love it. I think other people, and it's, it, this is not Lanark centric. I think it's any club. When you remove trees and we removed a good amount, but not a ton, a good amount, especially for members who've been here a long time, you're, you're racing their old course. So they have stories about how they hit that great shot behind that hole or that tee or that, that tree. And you've taken that all away. So you've ruined their stories. So I understand that the course they grew up on, I've tinkered with it hard. So there's always a little bit of like, you know, everything that seems better in the past. Any run-ins with the fair police? No. No? No. Nobody, nobody saying, oh, I got in this bunker and couldn't get out. Um, All right, take that back. That way, there has been because the faces are so steep. So there were a couple bunkers that I end up cupping them a little bit on the edges so they would roll back in a little further, and that kind of solved it. But it is a hazard the last time I checked. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, you're you're doing the next nine the next next year. Mm-hmm. How did it, did your approach to the next nine change at all? Like after you you did nine, you get like kind of I feel like you you're in this creative process. You're doing the work, you know, you're doing all this and then you have time to like reset, reflect. Did, did you mm-hmm. did anything change about the way you approached the next nine? Well, with Blake and Brian, who are fabulous architects and shapers, you had to get to know their personality and they are both a little bit quirky. They're very talented, but quirky. And at first when they started, I was like, they would not talk as much as I would like. And I was like, they would just do stuff. And I'd be like, okay, what do you think you're going to do next? And they would be like, well, we'll find it. You'll see it when we're done. Like I'm a control freak. So I'd be like, well, I, I kind of like would like to know because I have to order the materials for all of it. So I, I kind of need to know dimensions and size. Eh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get, but it would always come out great. So that created a little bit of um, anxiety for me in the beginning. Uh, by the time we did the second nine, I was like, I just know what they're going to be like. And it's fine. You know, I, it is what it is, you know, and they had great results. You know, it's, it's easy to trust people when they do a great job. 
so the second one when they were going to do something kind of like i was like no no it's like you know at the end it's gonna look great i feel like i do that to people that are real like type a yeah plan oriented people yeah. i just i drive them nuts i'm that guy i'm the plan oriented guy I, it, but you have to in greek because there's so many moving parts you gotta remember when you're doing nine holes there's another nine that you, they're still playing and i mean we did incredible amount of play like i always say the the the, the nine that was being played got hit with covid too i mean because everybody was out playing it that had to be hard last fall, shutting down nine, because it was, I imagine you were doing record rounds. Yes. It was like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I got to go. And it was like, but they were great because I think they were so excited. And the, and like we had said before, the course became schizophrenic. You had this new nine that was really cool and had these really cool Zoysia bunkers and the greens are bigger and they were seeing putts they'd never seen before. And then you had the old nine. So it was like, this has got to get changed. So there wasn't really any blowback. Do you have a favorite like part of the course transformation like that, that you still now drive out to and you're like, wow, this is pretty neat. I would Especially say. Especially since like you were out here as a kid and like the course is like. I, I'd have to say 12. Yeah, 12. Because 12 was, 12 was so severe. We had like two cups on it and it was like. It would just wear the grass out. So Brian really, it was really, I thought, probably one of the ch- most challenging holes to do. And there's days when I look at it and it has these two old um, or three old red Japanese uh, pines or maples there. And um, they're just so beautiful and it just casts a great shadow and it has great, and it's the right side of it's got this great bumping and stuff and it just gets great shadows. So yeah, I, I dig that. That's That's really cool. I, I could make an argument for almost every hole, but 12 is the one I'm like, yeah, that looks really good. It's uh, yeah, it's a neat, neat one. 15 is really good too. Mm-hmm. I like the hump. Yeah. All the humps, the humps are so neat. Yeah. That's the, the thing. Like the, I feel like, you know, Philly has so much Flynn, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, that's a really distinct style, mm-hmm. but he brought like a little bit of, above ground Travis flair. Yes. Philly, which is really, which really this neat. place needed because we don't have, we have our land rolls, the, the land rolls, but it doesn't like at Aronimic where you see this dramatic, like number one at Aronimic. I mean, wow, look at that. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, and even Marion, you know, you look at 17, you're just like, wow, this is a real sharp. We don't have that so much. So we needed some above, you know, grounds, uh, topography. The other thing too is having been a greenkeeper in New England, you see this stuff all the time. In New England, so for me, it was like, well, of course we're going to do this. Yeah, the, we just had an event, thirty-six holes of rolling green, and mm-hmm. that you know where you start, but that's like a feat of strength to walk that golf course. Yeah, I used to caddy there as a kid. It's it's a it's a, a number nine is a slog. And I mean, that's the, the topography that, that dominates Philly and why there's so many great courses. Uh-huh. You have this dramatic, yep. these dramatic properties. Yours is a little bit more subtle, but for, yep. you know, it's an easier walk. Like you could, you could legitimately walk 36 holes here with, in a day and not feel gassed completely. I would totally agree with you. And I think almost every member here would say the same thing. Landark's known for a few things. We really try to keep the course in great condition. It's extremely walkable. It's just, and it's a great everyday course. And as long as I've been here, membership's like super fun. It seems like you guys have a lot of bars. Yeah, I don't think anything more than anyone else, but I just think that they like to have a good time. And I, but they're serious about, they, they prioritized, you know, taking care of the golf course. I mean, they redid the clubhouse in 2013. They, they, they make the investment. We're, we're staying here. What was the uh, decision process of hiring Brian? I feel like from before to after this is one of the most dramatic shifts in golf architecture Mm -hmm. of what you had before and what you have now. Well, first things first, the course was more similar to this back in the probably the earlier 1900s. There was two Scottish greenkeepers here, a father and son. And if you look at their old photos, you can see a lot of this type of style here so then it went into the 80s and then you know the dark era of golfing in my book and then which is what most of the members that joined joined correct so then k did k did a nice job he did but he did you know what he was his interpretation of finlay but then when we went when it 
what was happening was the bunkers were breaking down. Bunkers are 15 years. You get 15 years out of them. The old style bunkers, when they would build them, you got 15 years. So we were right there. And I said to the club, I go, you know, they're like, well, we'll just redo the bunkers. I'm like, if you're going to do the bunkers, you must do the green complex. If you're going to do the green complex, you must just do the whole thing. And they bought into that. And then I'm very fortunate. They were like, what architect do you want? And when I interviewed Brian, I was just flabbergasted by the fact that he took the time to walk the property with myself and the golf professional who's now the co-GM with myself and really had like a viewpoint of it that, wow, we can really do something here. And I was like, this guy's really excited. And then I liked what Doke had been doing. And then I went up to see Hollywood and where Mike Broom is, who does a fabulous job there. And I was just blown away. And, um, but I also said to Brian, I pulled him off to the side. I go, look, I don't want a wall of sand. Like you see a lot of these renovations. They, they, they want to do all this bunker. They want to have all this sand to flush. I go, I don't want that. I want Lanark to be distinctive and I don't want to have a wall of sand. And he was like, no, I don't either. And um, I wanted to be more minimal, minimalistic. And I think we accomplished that. When you finish the project, are you a little, are you a little sad that, you know, like you, you, it's back to like the, the day to day? Well, I've done four grow-ins, four grow-ins and two restorations. So I, I've had a good fill of it. I have to say when they were doing 16, which was the last grain, I was a little sad. I was like, it'll be the last time I renovate a, court, the, a hole here at Lanark. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm ready. We're, we're never going to finish. The creeks need to get restored. They're still, I always say to any club, and a lot of good superintendents say, you have to play it for a year and then you're going to have to do tweaks. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're not done yet, but we have a Pennsylvania amateur next year. So we, if we're going to do something, we have to do it like this fall and then, you know, then grow it in. So, um, to, so to answer your question, it's okay. We still always have stuff to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I would never get bored with just grooming it. You're the GM here too. Co-general manager. Yep. Mm -hmm. For 12, 11 years. How how does how does that balance work? Like, do you have days where you're inside and you're like, I, I wish I was outside? And then do you have days where you're outside and you want to go inside? No, I got a great co, um, Chris Wilkinson, who's was an assistant at the Country Club at Brookline, ironically, but he's younger. Um, you know, he he takes care of food and beverage, all the stuff that I want no part of. I'm more of the physical plan. I'm more worried. I'm more dealing with pipes and and blacktop and electric and stuff like that. So it's it's a good diversion. I have very good assistant superintendents. I've been blessed with good assistants. So, um, but but for the last two years, I'd be I would I wouldn't be truthful to say that I, I've been on the golf course the whole time. But basically. Um, I got, we have really good people. We have great tennis pro. We have great pool managers. So things, things are in good shape right now. You just got to sit back and let them do their job. You got to delegate. You have to realize you have to delegate. But when we do construction around the clubhouse or something, I'm usually heavily involved with it, but um, you got to trust people. You got to teach them and you got to, you got to know when to be laissez faire, let them, you know, be hands off. With, uh, with, you know, kind of management and assistant supers and, mm -hmm. Has your style changed? Like, wh what are some things that have changed over your, say, just 21 years here? Like how, you how I manage? Yeah, just how you approach people. Well, I think it's a hard job. So you're going to go, hey, I got an idea for you. I'm not going to, I'm going to pay you to come in really early work in the heat, the rain. Um, I'm going to, and work you like a dog. And then, by the way, I'm probably going to have to lay off in the winter. But could you come back in, in April? So it is tough to motivate people, but I think you just do what anybody else would do. You treat them with respect. You try to teach them. You show them that they're worth something, that they have value. They do. They, they see little things that you don't maybe see. So I think you have to do as much as you can to respect and empower people. It's funny. I think about like the, the job uh, on a grounds crew and when, once you get past the years of like late nights, Mm-hmm. Like then all of a sudden it becomes so, so appealing. Like now that I'm 35 and have a kid, it's like, God, that would be a great job. Like you get, you go out early in the morning, but then like you could legitimately be home to like pick up your kids from right. school. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, like it all of a sudden, like it's a, it's a job that becomes like extremely more appealing when you hit your like late twenties. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's, it's, um, and our philosophy is life balance that I, want the assistants to take you know two out of three weekends we rotate i 
I, I think people need to have time off because they become they come back fresher. They're going to do a better job for you, and also they're not they're less there's less opportunity for them to get hurt because most people get hurt when they're tired. So um, it is appealing, not as a super. You're it's like being an attorney. There's billable hours. You're always thinking about it. I mean, you're you're constantly. I, I there's not a night I'm not not thinking about. Wow, man, I need to start really thinking about that Bermuda encroachment on number 18 fairway. So it, it just comes to you at all times. But it's my vocation. It's not my job. I love what I do, so it's not a big deal. But it is all encompassing. It is. It, the time of leaving early in the afternoon. It's it's when it's cooler out. I mean, not now. Like today, it's it's a slog. That's the um, I always tell people that are like, oh, you know, like, you know, why is it stressful? I, I'm like, I, you know, if you're a superintendent and I'm like, well, like, do you ever stress out about like your yard? And they're like, oh, yeah, I hate when those we I'm like, yeah. imagine your yard being like 180 acres. Yeah. And now pick and let people drive over your yard <laughs> and take divots out of your yard. Um, and then you have an outing where people are, you know, have seen their golf clubs for the first time in two years out on the golf course. Um, my one assistant, uh, Matt Willigan, who's up at uh, Fillers Up, he had a great expression. He goes, greenkeeper would be the best job if he didn't have to do it on weekends. You know, it's the weekends are tough. And we use the expression around here, grass doesn't know what day it is. So it doesn't matter. You have to be here at times to do it. Yeah, that's that would be the hard thing, with, especially with the families. Yeah, my daughter knows the golf course well. You got to maximize what time you have with them before they grow up. How neat has it been to watch just like kind of your network of people you know from the industry grow and then like grow to all these different places around the world? Well, I would say the most satisfying thing is seeing the assistants get super jobs. I've been very lucky. Um, I think I have like 10. You know, we don't raise them to keep them. So that's probably the most proud we get. It's great for the club. It's great for myself selfishly. So that's probably the most rewarding thing. And um, I was very, you know, again, fortunate to have been interned under Paul Latchell at Marion. So you have all the, I call it the men of Marion or Marion men, all these guys you've worked with that have all become very successful. So you can talk to them. And then at the country club, I have, we, I had like 10 guys that I worked with. They became superintendents. So it's like, so yeah, you're right. The net, I never really thought of it that way. The network has grown like tremendously, but I've also seen guys get out of the field. They get, they get into like sales jobs. Yeah. I just think that it, it, it's a grind. It's, it's a grind. Uh, you know, you, 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 you gotta, you better love it. You gotta love it. You have to love it. Your industry is so different than other industries. Cause mm-hmm. like you get good people in almost any other business and you like, all you want to do is keep them. Correct. But you know, great superintendents, their assistants become great superintendents right. elsewhere. Like it's, it's such a, it's, it's more of a, it's actually like more of a, like kind of like a, a family relationship where you want your mm-hmm. kids to go on to great things. Right. You don't want your kids to stay in your house their whole life. No, you got to kick them out of the nest. And to to be honest with you, I barely ever visit their courses because I, I don't want to, like, it's their deal. Like, it's your job. Like, actually, it's funny. One of my former assistants who's a super called me this morning about a spray. I'm, I'm happy to do that stuff. Like, I'll give advice if I can give it to them. But at that point, I, they don't need me coming over to look at their place. Like they, they know what they're doing. I mean, that's the whole idea is to teach them what to do. It goes back to like what, being an agronomist. I want you to know why you're doing it, not how to do it. You know, knowing how to do it. Anybody can figure out how to do it. You need to know why. Do you think young supers struggle more with the, the grass stuff or the management? I think that the young superintendents, just like what I was like when I was young, you feel like you know what you're doing and you don't. Um, you don't know completely. I always say, you know, to the assistants, is how I say, you think you know what I do for a living, but you don't. It's different when you're, it's very lonely to be the superintendent because at the other day, it's your call. And when it fails, it's your call. And if it succeeds, it's your call too. But you need to give them enough room to give you it, what they think, but you need to teach them. The younger guys, they need to get their fingers burnt. That's the only way you're really going to learn. You have to, you have to kill. There's two types of greenkeepers, one who's lost grass and one who will. So which you're going to be both at some point. So uh, younger guys, I killed grass. I, I messed up. I still kill grass. Is that the worst thing that can happen? Kill grass? Yeah. 
outside of like safety. Somebody gets hurt. Yeah, like outside of like catastrophic. I would say the thing that makes me probably the most angry is when we are dumb and we kill grass ourselves. Like we just straight out kill grass. Like, so we had member guests last week and I'm in a board director's meeting and I get a phone call, which I never get a phone call. And they're like, we have an issue, a problem. I said, we don't have problems, we have issues. We got a hydraulic leak on 18 fairway. So we had to take sod from another fairway, hide it with tall fescue and put it in. And this is like 12 hours before, remember guests? It's just the way it is. And the thing is, is I was driving up to the meeting. I go, God, I hope we don't have a hydraulic leak today. But it, it happens. The, something you said resonated with me, the loneliness mm-hmm. and having to make all the decisions. I mm-hmm. hate having to make all the decisions. <laughs> it's like the thing I love. I, d- I have like, to, My I wife like, will be like, what do you want to get for dinner? And it's yeah. like, I, I literally don't want to make another decision today. <laughs> like, please just pick something. And look at what, you know, in this business, you have to make a bazillion decisions all the time. Like today, it's like, well, and the thing is, you don't have enough information yet. Like, I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Is it going to get hazy? Is it not going to get hazy? The forecast stinks. Nobody knows what the weather's going to be like. What weather app do you use? Oh, I, well, every member asks me that. Or not every. A lot of members. I always say, I don't have a secret website for Green Keepers. I use Weather Underground. Well, you got Secret Seed. Yeah, that's Secret Seed. Too. Weather Underground, I think. I look at about four or five of them, but it seems like Weather Underground. Do you pay for a bunch of them? Absolutely, one hundred percent. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> the biggest. It's the biggest fallacy. What What does he know that, or does she know that I have to pay? Like they're just pulling it from NOAA anyway. Um. All right. What's the What's the best cheese steak in town? That's a. You know what? In In around here, I would say Will and I are going to go get one. Today. Well, right up the street, uh, Thunderbird. In uh, Broomall. Oh, yeah. But you got to get pepperoni in it. I do pepperoni cheesesteak. Pepperoni cheesesteak. You never had a pepperoni cheesesteak? We're from Chicago. We have Italian. We have the we have the better we have the better beef sandwich. We have the Italian beef. All right. I would say American cheese with pepperoni. That's the way I go. No onions. No onions. Uh, grow, grew up with pepperoni in mine. Your cheese whiz guy? No, American. American. No, no cheese whiz. What, it seems like that's a big divide. It is. That and onions. With Philly sports, what team disappoints you guys the most? Um, they're all disappointing. God, how can you, the Flyer or the Flyers? They're terrible. They can't even get in the playoffs. Everybody gets in the playoffs. Phillies, what are we? Ten years without a winning record. Um, seventy sixers. Seventy sixers. There's an open dunk. We don't take it. Um, and then uh, the Eagles. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of bullish on the Eagles. I think they're going to turn it around. Best time to come play golf in Philly. October. Without a doubt. Or April. April. April, because especially if you play like something like that has um, the bent grass hasn't awoken yet, the, the greens are always the fastest in April because they're dormant still. So you just moment, everybody's like, oh, they're really fast. You really know what you're doing. No, they're just dormant. I love like the fall. Because yeah, October. The days, are, days are short. Yep. And yep. it means I don't have to get up at like 4.30 in the morning to come shoot photos. And, and then if I want to shoot at night, it's not 9 o'clock. I have a countdown in my calendar right now. We're 74 days from September 10th. That's when things start to really go. See, that's the funny thing about the industry. Uh-huh. It's like when you're a golfer, this is the, mm. the midsummer when the days are, when it's light till mm-hmm. 9 is the greatest time ever. But if you're in the golf industry, it's the worst. No, I, you know, we were celebrating the other day. We were like the longest day of the year is gone. See ya. All right. This was a, uh, a great conversation. And uh, people can find you on Twitter. BJ Burn 01, I think. You on Instagram? You, uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Same thing. You probably, you know, all your assistants, that's probably changed. How What was it like pre and post cell phone, uh, like smartphones? I don't know, because it, it's so funny you say that, because we don't, I don't even, the rate, like I carry a radio today, it's just to turn irrigation on. There's, none of us have radios anymore. Like we just do everything. I just text everything. That way I can't forget what I, what I text them and, and they can't say that they didn't hear it. So um, it's the best, the texting's is wonderful and you can look at radars real-time radars so that that's great people have been i have to say that's been the cool thing on twitter is getting super intense from different countries and getting direct messages like when we did the zoysia like i got flooded with like direct messages like what is that like where did you get it how much is it a square foot what's it like to grow and like from all over the place i'm like 
wow, I never thought people, I People like come here to look at that now, right? Yeah, it's like the craziest thing. And like, you know, I'm just a greenkeeper. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's, we're in Delaware County. Let's cool the temperature down a little bit. But it was like crazy. But like, I got this guy, like, I got people that follow you and like from England. You're like, wow, that's really cool. So I follow back and you learn stuff. It is Twitter is educational. It's super cool with the superintendent industry. Like one that comes jumps to mind is Michael Vesely out at Culver. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a tiny little staff. It's a nine hole course, mm-hmm. a length from a row that got restored, but it wasn't like restored all the way. You mm-hmm. know, and he's at this really neat place that people are genuinely curious about. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like he's got architects visiting. He's started to talk That's to cool. like, Bob Crosby and David Normoyle, great mm-hmm. historians. And all of a sudden, like this guy has become, he's just like turned the place up like 10 notches. And it's all like he, he talks about, he's like, it's all because like the internet, like, you know, I just learned oh, yeah. so much stuff. Like, and I didn't, I didn't know all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden now I'm, he's got, you know, he gets, he talks to, you know, two great historians all the time about how to find information, how to find old fiction. And they would have never archives. known about it. Yeah. It's I'm a military academy. So he has like he goes to the archives mm-hmm. and finds all these old, those old articles and all this stuff, so cool. old photos. It's so so cool. And in like what he's doing is now he's just like he's just finding pictures and just doing, post them up. Yeah, and and just in making the changes on his own. See, that's really cool. I got on social media just as we started the restoration, and it was so funny that I had people that said during COVID, like they loved watching the updates because it was like. They were like, I don't even know your club, but it was like just to see the updates because I wasn't going anywhere. And it was like, well, I've seen the course kind of change. And I want to see how it was like a story. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then all of a sudden I get started getting like architects and like people just that are like into golf are like, hey, can I stop over and look around? Sure. Yeah, that's what that's your cool. your updates legitimately like made the. That was the last time I was in Philly. I was like, oh, I I gotta go see Lanner. Like, I really want to go see that place. Thanks. It's, it is, it's a cool property. I always tell people, I'm like, you should really come and see it. It's a neat little place. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, this was fun. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Perfect. Thank you. for listening to the Friday podcast our latest superintendent series this episode was edited by Meg Atkins as a quick reminder we got major championship golf right around the corner sign up for our newsletter it's free it comes out every day during major championships and then it's Monday Wednesday Friday uh, during the week keeps you up to date easily and Will Knights has some, some good quick wit in there so it's it's a great way to just know what's going on in golf make easy small talk at the office make easy small talk at the golf course uh sign up for our newsletter at thefriedag.com there's a newsletter sign up bar right there thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon